Welcome to Doing the Most, the series where we talk about the misadventures of entrepreneurship. I'm your host, Georgie, execution expert, mom, creator, and entrepreneur. This series is here to get real about what entrepreneurial life truly looks like. We are driven, persistent, hardworking, ambitious, but most of all, we are human, and these are our stories. Hey, you guys, welcome back to Doing the Most, The Misadventures of Entrepreneurship. I'm your host, Georgie, and today I have Luis Martinez with us, and I'm super excited to have him here from We The Plug, and he's going to be telling us about his entrepreneurial journey, how he got here, and just what his ambitions are and goals are for the future. So, Luis, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and a little bit about your background? Yeah, yeah, of course. I'm glad to be on. I appreciate you having me on, but I'm but yeah, so a little bit about me. I'm originally from Brooklyn, New York. Um, currently, I'm in uh, San Diego, California. I've been here since 2012, officially. Um, kind of got here through the Navy, and so I did that for a while. I got out, I did a couple other things, and then kind of found myself in the starter space and volunteering through different organizations, and then kind of found myself like in the crosshairs of kind of like, oh, you know what? I think I need to build my own company. I see an issue with this. And that's how I kind of, you know, started with the plug. And um, I guess we'll get into it uh, when we can. So that's the short version about me. (laughs) Awesome. So let's start with that initial part of the journey, right? You know, you're a kid growing up in Brooklyn. You know, when you were doing that, were there any dreams of like starting your own business? Like what did you want to be when you grew up, when you were, you know, growing up in Brooklyn? So first, I was a basketball player. I started playing basketball at probably six years old, um, playing the youth league. So I played on every level you can imagine. I played in youth league, uh, bitties, which is junior high, high school, college, and professional. So I was very lucky to play on all different levels and mm-hmm. play overseas. And so I was initially a basketball player. But in my early 20s, um, I did a lot of quote-unquote entrepreneurial things. Some were good, some were, you know, not so good, but I'll talk about the good ones for this one. Um, So I actually, this is probably 2000 through 2001. Mm -hmm. So I had a period where I was selling uh, Kirby vacuum cleaners, for those that may remember Kirby vacuum cleaners. So really going door to door and selling to people and doing that kind of stuff. And I actually got some sales and, you know, was pretty decent at it. You know, I wasn't selling hotcakes off the shelves, but, you know, I sold a couple and, and made a couple of dollars. And then probably 2001, I actually transitioned on my spare time, um, actually selling the internet. And this is when the internet was um, in its, I wouldn't say beginning phases, but like it was just getting into the web two stage uh, for those that are technically sound. Um, <laughs> it was just in the beginning of the web two. And um, this is when they were selling like the internet and the, the phone together and all that good stuff. And so I was early in tech, like just, you know, in it. And I saw a lot of things, a lot of people making a lot of great money and it was great. You know, I sold a couple of that as well, but I was a basketball player and I, my focus was, you know, at the time I was in junior college. So my goal was to get a four-year scholarship and then, you know, possibly play overseas, which I did. Um, but I didn't really get back into the entrepreneurship game until way, 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 way later, you know, um, you know, when I was, you know, damn near like 
36. So. Yeah. And, you know, um, like they say, Black don't crack. Because I'm like, when you were just 35, 36, like, you still look younger than that now. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a tad bit older than that I'm counting so. in my head, like, um, this math is not math. <laughs> um, I'm a tad bit older than that, so. <laughs> no problem. So, okay, you know, you're a basketball player. You go overseas. You kind of focus on that, you know, how did you get from that to the Navy? So you're overseas, you're playing basketball. Um, what happened to transition you from basketball to the Navy? Yeah. And so um, it was, it was a lot of things, life. And, you know, I was there for like three years, mm-hmm. right? No, actually four, excuse me, four years. And what happened was like the job started getting dried up. Mm-hmm. And so the money wasn't in Europe. They were going through, um, I guess their version of a, um, like a recession. Yes. Yes. Thank you. And so the, the money wasn't as much. And another reason was because the divisions were getting so basketball level overseas had different divisions. And so depending on the division, you get paid a certain amount. So I was paid, I was playing in the league just below the top league, um, mm-hmm. in Europe. And so you're getting a pretty decent amount. You're getting 200, 300K, you know, like that's you know, pretty good for somebody pretty young. And obviously as you get older and you get better, you get paid more, blah, 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 just like anything else. Yeah. Um, but they went through that recession and, you know, the money wasn't, you know, going out as much. And there was an influx of more players. And so there were a lot of, there were more basketball teams, but the pay was small. So it's like, I might as well go in McDonald's if you're going to pay me like this wage. Like, it got that bad. So, um, you know, I was like, I can't do this or whatever. So I was just playing in, you know, many leagues back home. And, you know, they would, they would pay small $500. But at least I was home getting paid $500. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And a, a coach, he um, discovered me, and which I, I knew him prior, but he was just like, Hey, you know, I'm coaching in the Navy. I got some connects, blah, blah, blah. Like, you should definitely think about going to the Navy if you're trying to, you know, do something. And other several events happened (laughs) in my life. And I was just like, you know what? I got to get out of here. Like, I got to save myself. I got to find a future. So I ended up um, enlisting in the Navy uh, in 2007. I ended up going in 2008 because when you sign up, you have to go through this, like, debt program. Um, I forget what it's called. Delay. Uh, Delay entry. program. Yes. Yeah. Thank you. And you have to go into the debt program. And so I was in there for a while. And, you know, obviously they do all the, they teach you, they, they prepare you for boot camp, but it's never the same <laughs> as when you actually go. But um, went into 20, uh, 2008. Then um, my first year I played in uh, Italy. So I was on the All-Navy team. Uh, we played in Italy. We played different um, uh, teams. We also played in the Armed Forces Tournament, which is, you know, we play against, you know, the Marines or we play against the Air Force. The Air Force always won, by the way. They always won the tournament. Because um, <laughs> isn't, like, the Air Force, like, the more, um, like, what is it? I think they said, like, a more aggressive or strict ones, like, if they were to, like, rank no, it as like, the Air Force. It's actually, it, it, they, so there's a nickname for them. It's called the Chair Force. So um, 
because they don't really do nothing, but they have the most high profile jobs. So like, Mm -hmm. if you want to, if I was to advise anyone to go into the military, I would tell them to go into the Air Force and then the Navy. So um, the Air Force is definitely, you get a decent job, you know, in the Air Force, when you get out, you'll be good. You know, you'll have all the certifications, you'll get a decent job, all that good stuff. So um, so I did that for the first year and it was great. I didn't really have to work. And then um, after that, when the tour was over, they're like, all right, you're going to go back, you know, to your, your ship now. Because I was already assigned to a ship. So, um, which is a pre, it was a pre-com. So for those that may or may not know, it's a pre-commissioning ship. So, um, so we did that and I had to be stationed. So I went to San Diego, ironically, in, in 2008, no, nine. But then I had to be um, shipped to Maine. So I was stationed in Maine for a little while. And um, that was an interesting experience, um, but <laughs> to say the least, but um, we ended up bringing the ship back. So in hindsight, a pre-commissioning ship is a ship that hasn't been built yet. So you have to input all the systems. So basically you're, you're building it from scratch. So technically speaking, like I have startup experience in the military. <laughs> so, which is ironic. I love um, it, I love that. Think about it. Um, and so we had to bring the ship from Maine all the way to San Diego. And then um, I spent the rest of the three years, you know, doing that, going on deployments, all that good stuff. And I got out and um, was like, hey, I'm not going back to Brooklyn. Like, if I go back to Brooklyn. for that, I need to see the world. <laughs> it's, it, I might be dead or in jail and I didn't want to be around that. So I ended up just staying in San Diego and, and trying to figure it out. So that's kind of the transition from basketball to uh, being in the Navy. Yeah. And so I love how you're just, you know, all these like life journeys and like where you traveled to, you know, you went to a lot of different, you went to different countries, you went to different states and that kind of built up, you know, your resilience. And I think that's something that is very essential that most entrepreneurs have. And it's like, you get it in some of the weirdest ways. So like being able to be around different people, right. That's a huge skill set for entrepreneurs to now just be able to communicate, make sales, interact. Um, And like you said, building up this boat from scratch, allowed you to now understand the elements, right, of building something from scratch, you know, going into the startup world. So now you are in um, San Diego, you just come out of the Navy, you know, where are you at right now? Kind of what led you to deciding to go into, um, you know, building a startup, working in tech, like what what drove that interest? So I was always um, going to go into entrepreneurship. I didn't know in what capacity, I didn't have a plan. Um, I started reading books such as, you know, uh, Inc. Magazine and Hospital Magazine. I had no idea, right? But I knew eventually I wanted to do something. So until then, you know, I was working, when I got out, I was working in the government sector, right? Go figure. Um, uh, you know, working in training and development. So um, just a sidebar, no, I could speak from very different hats, mm-hmm. you know, from the athlete hat to you know, the, the actual government worker hat to the corporate hat. So I've worn many hats throughout, you know, my, my, my short life on earth. But um, getting back to what, what you were talking about, um, I was really trying to figure it out. And through that process, I don't even remember how 
I founded um, San Diego Startup Week. Mm. And um, I was like, hmm, this is interesting. Like, let me let me see what this is about. And they were explaining, like, there were different sections and stuff like that. So, you know, I, I was going for that. Well, so, so two reasons. One was networking. And two, um, at the time that I went, I had recently lost my job. Mm. And I was trying to figure out the next move and I got tired of like being in a house by myself and not having any like networking people or I didn't know anybody in the city. So it was like, you know, in order for me to get to where I need to be, I need to go out and network. I need to, you know, get out there. So um, as I was doing it, it was a great event. <laughs> and um, I uh, bumped into the uh, individual that happened to be the founder that started Startup San Diego. And he asked me, um, he asked me how I liked the event and everything. And I was like, this is great, but you know, there's no black people here. What's up with that? <laughs> and when I say that, that's not a, I'm not like prefacing my comments. I said that verbatim. The way the way I just told you is exactly that's, how that's I said what you gotta do it. You're just like, um, what a black folk at? Like I it's great, but and yeah. <laughs> and he was he was kind of like taken back by it, like oh, you just really told me that. So then he was like, Yeah, we're trying to do that, but you know, it's you know, whatever. He said something to the effect, no, okay, whatever. Um, so then I ended up speaking to another gentleman who said, Hey man, if you wanna, you know, do something about that. Hey, come to the meetings, come to, you know, the, the, I was like, you know what, I ain't got a job. <laughs> I'm, you know, whatever. Like, like I was, was there to lose. Yeah. So I ended up going to some of the meetings and I ended up volunteering for like a whole year there, um, just doing different events, stuff like that. You know, and people would ask me, hey, what company do you run? What? I don't have nothing. I'm just here. Like, I'm just, but I enjoyed the atmosphere because it was, it, it, I was meeting different people, mm-hmm. you know, I was connecting with different individuals and I had no like arterial motive. Like it wasn't like, I'm not trying to raise a fund. I'm not trying to fund my company. You know, I'm just here. I don't yeah, have and like meet people like that. Yeah. yeah. But, at the, but at the same time, I was, you know, I was writing down like, all right, this person does this, you know, this person does that. So keeping those relationships open until, you know, I figure out what I'm going to do. So then eventually I, um, make long story short, one thing led to another, and ended up leading the diversity and inclusion um, track for San Diego Startup Week, which is the first time they were exclusively um, including diversity and inclusion. Mm-hmm. And I mean, like every room that, every session we had was packed. There was a lot of people, there was a lot of excitement about it. And, you know, people were like, how did you find these people? I'm like, they've been here. Like, I didn't, you know. <laughs> but to, to really be honest with you, it was me during the year that I was volunteering, do, also doing the work and getting to know the ecosystem and know people who are doing the work. So when it was my time, to, at, when it was my um, at-bat, as they say, like, I already had everything in place. Mm-hmm. So all I do is make a couple of phone calls and emails. Hey, we're doing this. We want you. To, oh, okay. A lot of them was the first time on that particular stage. Wow. So, um, which people was like, yeah, this is great. I appreciate that. And, um, but obviously there was more that needed to be done. 
So I was just trying to figure out other ways to incorporate that into the organization, which actually led to, to me being uh, the director of inclusion of the organization later. Um, but I felt like there was more that needed to be done. And so I ended up becoming the director of Startup Brian. Nice. And so um, for, for San Diego. And um, that's a funny story within itself. Uh, I was on, so I was on, I'm going to tell you this quick story. So I was on the phone with a, with a homie, right? And he just asked me, yo, what happened to Startup Brian? Just random conversation. And I'm like, yo, I don't even know. Like, let me, let me see what's good with that. So I ended up going on, they have their, we have a Slack channel in San Diego. Mm-hmm. Like all of the um, startup people, tech people are on there. So I just happened to ask, hey, who's, who's running Startup Brian? So through various channels, it was this young lady who um, was the director, but she wasn't doing any events. And they haven't been doing events in a while. And so I hit her up. I was like, hey, uh, what's going on with Startup Brian or whatever? And she was like, hey, you know what? Are you interested in becoming the, the director or whatever? Uh, I was like, yeah. Like, and then she was like, you know what? Um, I'll introduce you to the people up in Startup Brian. And because um, she had family obligations that she was attending to. Mm-hmm. So she couldn't do it the way she wanted to do it. And so she was like, hey, if you want it, it's yours. Just let me just uh, put you on the email. So I had to go through the whole process, interviews and all that stuff, and um, which is kind of funny now looking at it, but that's all another story. Because is it like but, volunteer? Huh? Because is it like a volunteer role, but then it's like a level? Yeah, 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 yeah. It, it was, I know it was, that. <laughs> it, it, was a, it was doing a little too much. Um, yeah, I'm just like, it's not adding up. It's not adding up. But, but I, I tell you what, I made the most of the situation. Definitely. That's so I uh, ended up becoming uh, the director. And then what happened was I was looking at the prior events and some of the, uh, well, most of the events were happening in a co-working space, mm-hmm. right? Which is cool, but I wanted it to be for the attendee, right? And obviously we're talking pre-pandemic here. So I'm like, yo, the attendee has to get a different experience every time. So instead of me just picking a co-worker space and saying, all right, we're going to do it here, I'll do that just in case. But our primary option is to actually go to the person's you know, work or company space and do it at their space. So <laughs> you as an attendee get a different experience every month because we're doing events every month. And um, before there was like five, six people showed up. I was getting 45, 50, um, every event. I had, there was probably one event that I had like 20 people. That would have been the lowest. But other than that, I didn't have nothing lower than 30. And so um, right before the pandemic, we are going to do an event. And I had like 80 people registered, paid registered people. and Obviously, that didn't, that didn't work out because okay. I had to call off because of the pandemic. But um, so that was a success. And I'm obviously, I'm still doing that. Um, I'm planning on having my first um, in-person session either at the end, well, probably next month, at the beginning of next month. But anyway, um, so during that process, um, I actually attended there. So they have a yearly um, conference in Silicon Valley. 
And so um, I might be going ahead, but um, no, it's so, not. Yeah. So I went to the conference, but it was my first time going to Silicon Valley, like as being part of the space. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to like do my own, as they say in design thinking, um, my own customer discovery and figure out all right, why are so many Black and Latin um, founders? Um, talking about they can't have access to capital and it's not fair. And, you know, depending on what publication you read for the day, it's either 1% or 2% mm-hmm. of venture capital only goes to black and brown founders, whatever the case may be. I, I need to understand what, because I didn't really understand because I was relatively new and I was in San Diego, which is a different demographic, let me just say. <laughs> but um, <laughs> so I was just trying to get the full scope. Yeah. And um, so what I did was I said, all right, I wanna I wanna meet people in the coffee shop. So I set up an event right, right? Set up a link. Meet me in a coffee shop. So you know how like in conferences when they have apps and you can see who's coming to the conference. Yeah. I probably messaged everyone that I thought that would be interested in this meetup. Now my expectation was like five to seven people. If I can get five to seven people to show up, that's a good thing. That's yeah. a, that's a good. I'm good. I'll talk to them. I'll ask them questions. I may exchange information with them. I don't know. We'll see. And then call it a day. I was good with that. That's not what happened. What <laughs> happened was, what happened was, eighty people showed up. Oh snap! <laughs> um, I had people from. Are you familiar with, with the Bay Area? Not really. I'm East Coast. Okay. <laughs> are, you, are you familiar with how San Diego area is? No. Okay, so check this out. So you live in so where you li- New York City. I'm in New York City, so all try, right, try right. you best to compare it to that. <laughs> okay, so I'm going a, I'm to a, I'm a hit you with this. That would be like somebody, let's say you got an event. I'm from East New York. So mm-hmm. let's say I have an event in East New York. That'll be like somebody from New Rochelle or Yonkers saying like, yo, I heard about your event. I'm coming down. Oh, so they playing work to get there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so it was people from Oakland. So that's a, so the, 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 the value is big. So people from Oakland, I didn't know it was, they came down just for that event. They didn't have a ticket for the conference, wow. mind you. So since I was a director and I had tickets available, I just gave them a code and just, you know, yeah, I, I got you. But it was so much connection. I, I, it was so many conversations talking about access to capital and all that. And from that moment, that's basically how We The Plug started from that event. Oh, because you The Plug with the tickets. <laughs> I get so it. That, yeah, so that's, so that's how it started. So... So one thing always led to another, it led to another. And from there, I just built We The Plug off of that. And so that's how we actually end up with founders across the country because the founders that were in that room was from across the country and the world. We had a lot of folks that were international. So um, uh, footnote, we did it the following year. This was 2020. So that happened in 2019. Mm-hmm. 2020, right before the pandemic in February, we did the exact same thing. We had 150 people in the coffee shop. Yeah. Like it was packed. Yeah. So we, we and at that time we didn't have any infrastructure. 
We just did the event just to do it, and we missed an opportunity. So this time, we ain't going to do that because now we have infrastructure. We have a community platform and all that. So we actually plan on doing that um, in April and working with Startup Brian because they saw what I did and they did some other stuff. And um, they were like, we want that. So, um, but yeah, so that's kind of how We The Plug started, to be honest with you. Yeah, and and I love that story, right? You you know, people, somebody probably come, comes across the website today and saying, you know, oh, maybe he had access to this or that. But when you hear this back behind the scenes story of, no, it, it took many moments. It took taking a chance, you know, taking vol- lots of volunteer opportunities, right? You know, I got my start um, in the tech and startup world very similar, just like taking on, you know, volunteering for events and like people would just see me there like handling check-in right and then that's how people started to know my name because they're like oh you know we're gonna go to this event she's gonna be there doing check-in and I'm like that's how I got my free ticket like you know you have to be strategic about your positioning even if you don't know the bigger picture you knew that you were interested in it and you wanted to learn and then connect and level up and now you've repackaged all of that to offer to the next person coming up or somebody that's already in the field and want to get better so you know, talk to me about like we to plug now that you guys have a more, um, you know, it's really built out versus just kind of like you experimenting and trying things, you know, what does we to plug do for the audience um, so that they could know clearly, um, you know, what is the value proposition? Like, what are some of the stuff that you guys offer? So before I answer that question, let me kind of build off of that event. And because there's a reason why I'm saying that. So originally after that event, you know, I got with, um, um, uh, a colleague of mine who actually, <laughs> funny story, I hired her as a consultant, right? And so the little money I had, I'm like, all right, I'm going to pay her to help me through this process because I feel like I got something. And this was before um, the, the the Silicon Valley thing. Mm-hmm. And through the pro- after that event, I went to her, I'm like, yo, this is what happened. And we started having conversations and we were doing little events before. Mm-hmm. But then she was like, yo, whatever this is, I want to be on the journey. I, I think I can help you with certain things or whatever. So she ended up being uh, my COO um, partner in the business, um, Christiana. And so that's how it all folded together. And then it was kind of like a infinity group at first. It was more like we want to support black and brown founders. And that was kind of like our motto. And we ran with that for probably, I don't want to exaggerate, February, March, April, May. So we, for a couple months. So that the, the, the event happened in February. Mm-hmm. We started with the plug technically in June of 2019. We, that weekend, the first weekend that we started it, we were part of um, San Diego Startup Week. So we kind of debuted there. We had a booth, our website was up, we had banners, and we also had a pitch event um, that Saturday. So a lot of people came to the pitch event. We ended up getting Republic to sponsor the event. Nice. So we had 10 um, minority companies pitch. We picked, we had VCs as judges. Um, I think three, we had three winners. Each winner had $5,000 onboarding credit to uh, raise funds on Republic because Republic is a crowdfunding platform for startups. Mm-hmm. So obviously we have the monies, but that was the best that we can do at that moment. And so we got a lot of press from that. 
And so from there, we were like, okay, <clears throat> we're going to do a lot of um, case studies on startups. So we had five companies that we did case studies on. They were from all over the country. And we realized that a lot of these founders, so you know how sometimes founders say they're ready to get capital, and mm -hmm. but you really find out that they're early stage. Yeah, they're not ready yet. Like, they're, and they're not ready looking yet. Looking at like, like no investment. <laughs> yeah. Because there's no proof of concept. There's no product market fit. Um, none of that. And so since I was already trained in design thinking and all, I knew everything about that. That's kind of like my lane. I'm like, no, 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 no. This is not, this is alarming. So that's where it changed from the affinity group we had a conversation and we're like, okay, we got to narrow this down. So there's a lot of organizations and companies that, you know, you pretty much got to have your stuff together when you go into their incubator or their accelerator, right? But what about those individuals that don't have the network, right? That, you know, may not have the sort of education, right? Because there's a, there's a big difference that, there's a big difference when, someone goes to, let's say, their local university around their way, right? And someone that, that goes to Stanford or even the HBCU or Howard or, you know, A&T, right? There's networks there that even when you leave, like, you can tap into. Mm -hmm. Like that alumni system. Yeah. Yeah, you need to start. So what about the individuals that don't have that, right? Because the numbers state that I want to say, um, over 70% of Black Americans don't have a college degree. Mm. It's only 20% of Black Americans that have college degree. So you take that and you factor into where the most people lie, not having degrees. So we're like, we need to focus there. We don't need to focus. So that's where we narrowed it down to uh, focusing on early stage, on Black and Latinx startups, um, and teaching them the fundamentals of how to build. So that's kind of what we do now. We have different programming. We have a, a pre-accelerator program. We talk about the fundamentals because, to be honest with you, there's a lot of conversation about uh, scaling and, and, and access to capital. We need money to scale. But a lot of these companies are not even understanding the process of how to build. So even if you do get a million dollars, you can like, fumble it <laughs> easily. You fumble the bag like <laughs> no tomorrow because you're not understanding what to do with it, who to get first, you know, get consultants to kind of do this or that. Like there's little nuances that one doesn't understand. And so what they're doing is just reading check crunch and go, we need money, we need money. And so we kind of get that idea out their head immediately and go, look, we got to figure out um, proof of concept and product market fit. Once we get that, you, know, you get some customers, now we can have that conversation. And now it's become easier, <coughs> excuse me, with such um, tools such as no-code technology, yep. you know, which is kind of part of the new Web3 lane and all that stuff, right? To where now you can integrate, you know, AI, you can you know, integrate it and you don't need any coding skills, right? So now it's making it easier for the barrier to entry for folks to build something very quickly and now go in the market and say, go get customers. So that's what I'm in the, in the process for. Yo, let's go get customers. 
I'm not saying you got to get a thousand customers. And I'm not saying that, but I know if you get a couple, right? And let's let's just say, for example, there's a, a product out there, right? You have a SaaS product mm-hmm. and you have seven customers. I know, okay, you got seven customers, but you're staying at seven for a while, right? We can work with that because we can adjust some things here and there to make it go up. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So that's something to work with. So we know there are people out there that want to buy your product. And so that's kind of where our lane lies. And now you can, um, once you have proof of concept in your uh, selling product or services, now we build upon that. And then we can have a conversation about possible you know, venture capital in which most companies, to be honest with you, don't need venture capital. Mm-hmm. So that's another misnomer that people- um, Cause it just sounds guess, cool. Yeah. Like, oh, we could get money from somebody else that wants to invest mm-hmm. in our, it just sounds really catchy. And it's just like, well, you know, don't, there may not be a need to dilute your company ownership. There may not be a need to sell parts of your company and, you know, have different people come in and too many cooks in a pot is not what your business needs. Like you just, like you said, need that direction, that clarity, that, that ability to scale them first customers, because it's better to have a hundred customers and that's, you know, making you maybe, you know, um, annually like a million dollars or even a f- half a million dollars versus only owning 20% of your company and then still making a million dollars because you, you know, gave it all the way to like VCs and different organizations to give you that kickstart, but you're not really, taking that home you're not really building that future that you envisioned you're just this like small percentage ownership and i have to say this because i feel like it's important since we're talking about vc the longer you quote unquote bootstrap right and actually get to product market fit and proof of concept and customers the more the ball is going to be in your court when you finally go get that venture capital because the earlier you get it, the more, the less control you have. Because they're looking at like, okay, I'm taking a risk on you. There's not necessarily proof of concept. So it's uh, it's in the air. We don't know. I mean, it's, we don't know regardless, but <laughs> it's definitely we don't know. But if you have customers in a base, now there's something to go off of. And now the terms, the term sheets can be more in your favor. Yeah. You know, as you go along, and I think once we start getting that message out, I think we will be better suited. But I'm just not in the business of, and this is this is gonna be this, this is gonna may rub some people the wrong way. <laughs> but <clears throat> we are in the business of, um, uh, how do I say this? Um, it's the it's the outcomes. Yeah. No, rewarding outcomes, right? So when I hear a lot of these conversations about, you know, you know, we're black and we deserve X, Y, and Z. No, we deserve, you know, rights. We have rights. You know, we deserve equal opportunities for whatever, this, that, and the third. When we're talking about venture capital, that's something that's earned. You know what I'm saying? Like, oh, you got proof of concept. Oh, and so people get this misunderstanding when it comes to equal access and opportunities, that doesn't mean equality of outcomes. 
And I use the term like running a marathon as an example. I can train for a marathon to be in its best shape of my life. Mm-hmm. Does that mean I'm going to win that, the, the marathon? No. Oh. <laughs> and so a lot of people, they, they, they get bothered by that. They, you know, but I digress. Yeah. And I definitely get where you're coming from. And, you know, I think what needs to happen, like you said, is just building better networks. And it's like the old boys clubs and these things are made out of people's networks. And so it, some places were directly exclusionary and some places were, you know, for lack of a better term, like accidentally, like you just kind of knew your circle. And so as organizations like We The Plug and, you know, there's other stuff like Black Women Talk Tech and, you know, um, the um, Backstage Cabin, like as these organizations are saying, no, 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 these little tight circles, they don't exist anymore. The, 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 this is the whole network. This is, like you said, the opportunity exists. So we're not going to just, oh, a Black-owned or woman-owned company comes up, like we're going to deny them because we have no idea about those products or services. It's, we're going to hear it. And then if you have, like you said, the product market fit, you have the, the essentials that I say, yes, this is a good investment. Let's take it and fly. And if you don't have it, it's not denying you because you know you're a minority it's like you just don't have it and so you need to get those skills and then come back to us and then we'll invest so that's that's how i see it i'm about to i'm gonna I'm drop a little little gem little jewel right so um for those out there and, and you georgian as well um there's a documentary uh, called something ventured was and Netflix? Were we, what are we watching this? Nah, it's, on, it's on YouTube. It's on, on YouTube. YouTube. Look it up. Something Some, something, something ventured. I want to say is the is the term uh, is the name of the is the name of the um, the documentary. Mm-hmm. I'm about to tell you right now. That, yeah, something ventured, and it came out I believe in 2010 or 2011. So it talks about the history of venture capital. And I'm actually going to do my own video on this, but um, it talks about the history of venture capital, how it started. Um, they had a, a small little group of engineers and it was it was the good old boys club. But we we're going to keep it a buck here. But I think some of our people in our space need to watch that and understand how they actually built Silicon Valley. Um with the VC firm. So Sequoia, they talk about how that started, all, all the, the major firms. And I think we have a lot of folks out there that have a lot of name, a lot of brand. And if we come together in that same fashion and build our own stuff, firms, now there's an opportunity to build, you know, our own companies and, and, and use our own money, right? Because obviously, the numbers say that we spend the most money, right? So the money exists. It got to exist. Yeah. So I think we need to take some of our cues from that. But obviously, there are other factors that usually hinder us from doing that. So, but um, I, I advise everyone to go see that documentary. Awesome. Thank you so much. And, you know, you've shared a couple misadventures already. Um, but is there any stories that, you know, of this journey that you've been on that you would definitely define as like, you know, very unexpected or kind of like out of the box? Like, do you want to share any other stories with us? Yeah, I would say that I, there's a lot of situations I've been in where I thought people were helpful mm. and they end up not being so helpful mm. 
And, you know, I, I, at first, I took it very personal. Um, it wasn't until recently I kind of like came to my senses and realized, well, people are operating out of their own, you know, Need I guess ins insecurities or needs, however you want to phrase it. And sometimes people come from a certain background that garners them to do that. And one of the things that used to really irritate me, and I'm going to use an analogy, is let's say I climb up a tree, right? And I use a ladder to climb up a tree and I take the ladder and then you come strolling in the tree. And then I tell you, oh, yeah, you got to figure out a way to um, climb this tree. And you're like, well, I, I see the ladder in your hand. Like, you're not going to put it down? I tell you, I, I look at you like, sorry. Mm -hmm. You got to figure it out. So those are the type of situations that happen a lot. And once you understand that, that it's going to happen, not everyone is, is a meanie like that, but <clears throat> once you understand that, then you cannot take things so personal mm -hmm. and when you understand people more. And so I think that's something, and that's, I'm, I'm talking about internally. This is not white people. This is white people I'm talking about. So when you understand that from an internal standpoint, then you can kind of feel a little better about it and move about, you know, easily, I guess. So, but that's one of the things that I've had to fight along the journey. Like, for example, I was on Twitter a while ago and someone was like, well, why would we pay for a pre-accelerated program when there's so much free stuff on um, the internet? Something, yeah. That, that's almost the same thing as saying, well, I'm not going to pay for coaching. Like, I could just, you know, go to Tony Robbins' page and <laughs> you know, listen to his quotes. Yeah, like it's just like, uh, sorry, there's a difference between you know looking at something on YouTube and actually experiencing something from that individual, uh, from his or her point of view. So um, I just think that we've gone away from that, and I think we have to start um, investing in ourselves. So yeah. I digress from my soliloquy. Yeah, and I definitely see where you're coming from with that, where, you know, certain, I had to realize the same thing. And I think a, a lot of people that have been on the show kind of mentioned that, like, when you get to a certain phase, and I think especially for people that when you have a lot of passion about the work that you're doing, and you really care about the impact that you're making, um, your heart is in it, literally, your heart is in it. And so when somebody does something or doesn't do something or come off like, whoa, what's happening here? You, you feel it. You feel it because you know your intentions are well-meaning. And like you said, you don't know what the person's background is. And I had to learn that lesson the very hard way as well. And in it, and, you know, hopefully the listeners out there kind of, you know, this hearing this, these experiences will make you not feel too bad. You're going to go through it. It's going to happen, especially if you have your heart in it, it's going to happen. Somebody's going to break your heart out in these streets. Um, and you have to be able to understand that it's, it's, it's going to happen, see it coming, and then kind of build back from there, build back stronger, right? Don't let that heartbreak turn you into, you know, a mini pants, right? Like, you don't want to become like them, like, oh, this is the only way business gets done and business gets solved, right? Innovation happens and industries grow because you as a person have to decide. I'm just not going to associate, I'm not going to interact in that way with certain types of people, but I'm still going to have my heart and put the work in, in the way that I want to do it. And it, it feels good 
and um, feels good to me and just setting those boundaries. And I see you're about to say something, Louis. Yeah, so I was gonna add this real quick. So me being from the hood, being from the projects, like we live by a certain code of ethics. Mm-hmm. And the transition from that to being in business and in corporate is two vastly different things. And you almost look at it like people in business don't have any ethics, right? And, and morals. And so the reason why I took it so personal, and I still do, but I react better to it, is because where I'm from, there's actual consequences for you not keeping your word, for you not following through, or you saying one thing and doing another, or acting funny style. There's a real life consequence to that. So we take that to heart. So when, we, when I went to the business realm and I saw a lot of people, for lack of a better term, either being snakes or not working as hard as I thought they should be. And you'll, you'll, sometimes you'll get into a situation where you'll have people that have been doing what you've been doing before and you come on and you do X, Y, and Z or these deals are coming up and they start hating on you. And I was like, wait a minute. Well, you had the same opportunities as me. You decided to do other things. That's not my fault, you know? And so balancing that, that, that those ethics and morals and putting it into the business space um, was a real transition for me, I could tell you, because there have been times where I, I wowed out. You know, I told somebody, yo, I need, I need five minutes in the box. You know what I mean when I say that? Mm-hmm. Like I need my five minutes. Like I was all that, and then I had to reward. I'm, I'm doing this way wrong. Like this is people are not from that life, so they don't understand. They just think I'm a nut job. <laughs> and I had to understand, yo, these people they never they never lived that life. So you gotta relax. You gotta see it from their point of view. Like, and that's when I realized not every black person is a monolith. We're not a monolith, right? We come from different backgrounds. Uh, we have rich people. We have uh, middle-class people, we have poor people, we got people from projects. So I had to learn that way later in life when I actually started paying attention to people. So Yeah, and um, I actually just finished uh, Will Smith's book, Will, and he there's like a scene that he's talking about in the book where he goes into... Um, like an office of one of like the the I think it's like a director or writers on the script or something like that but it's like it's like the, one of the bosses like they call him into the office because he was making changes to the script on the scene and they're like trying to confront him and so this guy is just like standing up and he tells everybody else to sit down and he's just like kind of pushing all this power and again Will from West Philly his um his guy JL is with him so it's just like again not super, super hood, but like hood enough. It's like, listen, you don't play, you don't talk to people in certain ways, those ethics, those morals, those actions that you take. So the guy's like kind of standing over him, kind of barking on them. And they got so ready to like square up and literally fight him. And then the manager, their manager is like, what is wrong with you? Like, why would you, you know, this is a 63 year old man. He's like, he was standing up kind of, you know, getting all crazy, getting loud on us. And so, so it's like that culture shift, right? The expectations that we have, I totally totally see it and and it's, it's so funny like hearing it out loud and realizing it's not just you know a few of us this this culture shift or shock um especially when you go into different fields is is so real and so true um so we're coming to the end of the interview now and i'd like to ask you what piece of advice would you want to leave with um the folks that are listening to this uh episode you know what what 
piece, you know, what one thing, and we've talked so much and there's been a dozens of gems, but if it was one thing you want them to take away or one piece that they want to take with them, what would that be? Say, um, wow, that's a, a lot. Um, I can say a lot of things, but <laughs> I will say this. Try to keep your enthusiasm. Mm. This work is hard. You know, when you're doing stuff in service of others, it can be difficult. Yeah. You know, like it's a lot of trial and tribulation. It's definitely not for the weak. You know what I'm saying? Um, sometimes you're figuring out, you know, when, when you're going to pay your rent and light bills and all that. And that's the truth. And But through that, you got to stay enthused. Oh, it's, it's going to go downhill real fast. So... Um, you know, like what, 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 what um, like Jay Z, uh, my first song, where Big was like, "Yo, you gotta treat it like your first project every time." That's how you gotta treat it. You know what I mean? Like everything is is new. You gotta be excited about it. There's always an opportunity to do better. Like I, I have a saying, right? Like opportunity wakes you up. Um, I'm messing it up right now. <laughs> Obligation shouldn't wake you up in the morning. Opportunity should. Mm-hmm. So. That's kind of like what I say when I do my talks or speeches. And usually like we have obligations in the morning, whether you have children or work or whatever, right? We're, we're human beings, we have obligations. But also there's an opportunity to be better, like opportunity to meet people, network, um, build things. Mm-hmm. And so it can be hard because we're humans, right? But you know, sometimes we got to look at the lighter side of things to get through the day. So I just say, you know, just keep that positive energy flowing no matter what. Yeah, 100%, 100%, definitely, definitely. Thank you so, so much for being here on the Doing the Most, um, the Misadventures of Entrepreneurship podcast with me. Uh, folks that are watching and or listening to this session, um, information about We The Plug, as well as um, how to contact Lewis is going to be in the comment section, the description section below. Um, but, you know, I'm really grateful to have had you here on the show. And thank you so much all for listening. And I hope you took notes, you took these gems, and you guys keep going and keep pursuing your dreams as an entrepreneur in corporate wherever you are just know like he said stay enthusiastic you know let obligation let opportunities wake you up there's an opportunity to be great and do amazing things each day um regardless of if you're obligated to do it or not there's an opportunity to be excited about it and um start again so thank you so much thank you for tuning in to this week's episode of doing the most catch us here next week same time same place if you can't wait Head on over to doingthemost.xyz to stay connected. Until next time, keep on doing.